0: Hey, everybody. Hutchison is putting on a special giveaway for listeners of this podcast. A few episodes back, Robbie Hardy shared the unbelievable story about how she used a Magic 8-Ball to help her decide whether or not to sell her company. All signs pointed to yes for her, and she had a successful exit. Well, we all have major decisions to make every day, so we thought it'd be fun to give away one Magic 8-Ball each month in a drawing. To enter the drawing, all you need to do is write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen And let us know by sending an email to podcast at hutchlaw.com. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hutchlaw.com. Therapy has been one of my superpowers,
1: like being a founder, especially in the later stages. It's an incredibly lonely job, right? Like there are very few people in your personal life that are gonna be able to relate to what it's like to try to found a company. Externally, it looks amazing. Oh, you're running your own business. You have so much autonomy, like you're the boss. But like, there's a lot of stresses and, and things that are going to go unseen by them. And you're, and you're going to find it early on, it's difficult to even talk about them because it kind of just like sounds like, oh, you're complaining, you don't you have millions of dollars in funding.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast. We're so happy that you've chosen to spend some time with us. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt. I'm an attorney at Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We work with founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies, start up, operate, get funded, and exit. We are daily inspired by the people we work with and want a chance to share some of these stories with you, our listener. So whether you're already an entrepreneur, want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success or not such a success, this podcast is for you. Today's guest is Andrew Sampson, CEO of Rainway. Based in Seattle, Rainway is a platform that allows developers to build applications that leverage low latency real-time streaming. So if you want to build a cloud gaming service or need to send high-end video or audio to your phone or tablet without worrying about the processing power on the other end, Rainway's got you covered. Andrew started the company in Atlanta five years ago and then moved it to Seattle where it went through the Techstars program in 2018. And in 2019, Rainway raised three and a half million dollars which you'll hear about later in the show. Given his current success, it's hard to believe that not that long ago, things looked decidedly different for Andrew. When I
1: started tech in general, it was sort of a, a difficult time, right? It was like, I think I really started getting into technology around the 2008 recession. That's around the time that I ended up becoming homeless just due to the economic circumstances that were facing most of America at that time, if not the whole world. And going through that, you know, sort of the outlet was, you know, I have to drop out of high school. I have to focus on coding because coding is going to be the way that I sort of lift myself out of poverty. And that ended up being the case, but it was a huge gamble, you know, when you're 15 to make such a huge decision like that. But sticking with it now over, you know, I guess the last decade, it's been, a hugely like meaningful and impactful part of my life. And so when I finally managed to get somewhere, you know, I guess in a personal level where I was comfortable thanks to, you know, being able to code and build applications that people liked, then I started to get more into startups. And I think it was around 20 2016 as I was coming off of startup number two that we we decided to do rainway just based on looking at how people were using some some stuff that we had already built and started moving into building Rainway just given what was a clear user demand at that point.
0: So I mean it's just an amazing story to me. So what is it about kind of coding or or as a 15 year old you you saw that this this was kind of a tool that you could use to to kind of better your circumstances.
1: Yeah. So I got into coding specifically because of one game called RuneScape and I was trying to cheat at it, right? And so I saw how much money people were making writing cheats for this game, not even the game itself, just like the cheats for the game. And that got me thinking just about all the things that programming can unlock for you in terms of the ability to make passive income, basically, that creating one tailor-made boutique solution for a problem people are having. And if people really like it, they'll pay for it. And then that like, boom, you have an income like stream at that point. And so I started thinking about how do I do that? for as many different sort of spaces as possible. And so I started building out these projects that would target different problems in different spaces. You know, the little small programs that like solve problems, right? Like I I think the most popular application ever made was called Borderless Gaming, used by over 30 million users today still. And it's just like a free open source project that released that also you can buy optionally on Steam. People really, really liked it. And like that helped me get a feeling for what it would be like to run a startup in a way because I started to realize that oh okay people are willing to pay for these small like tailor-made programs imagine what they'll do if you give them a whole service that has a lot of value.
0: That's fantastic. So how did you how did you teach yourself to code or how did you learn to code? A lot of time I mean I basically spent all my time in the library. So when I figured out what
1: Java was, that was my first language, I would spend a lot of time Googling resources back then for Java were actually a lot better than they were actually are today, which is ironic. Um, and then there, I ended up like finding the programming section in the library that I would frequent. And I would just sat down and I read books for one whole summer and ended up teaching myself Java over four months. I wasn't very good, but I was able to like go on to build some really interesting programs and meet meet some great friends along the way.
0: And that was going to be kind of my next question. I mean, kind of along that process, did you did you find mentors or did you find other people who were in business that could help direct you or was it really just kind of a bunch of other people who liked to code?
1: Yeah, I never quite found mentors that wasn't even like I, I think I got my first mentor after Techstars right like just like on a professional level it was more so other kids like from all walks of life all around across the planet who were interested in similar things to I me mean, it's actually pretty funny that like I'm running a startup now and actually one of my good friends who is also running a startup now got started in the exact same way we were like in the same like runescape hacking form together back when we were like 11 10 years old and now we're both running like series a plus startups which is just sort of amazing
0: i think that'd be an interesting study for some academic out there go back through kind of the chat boards of like a runescape or something like that to see <laughs> who, who's doing what now because it sounds like yeah
1: yeah it, it's very clear like i think the archetypes of everyone in those communities ended up playing out exactly how you'd think the people that were sort of like rambunctious and were always getting in trouble ended up doing that later in life too. But like the really smart people are now like professors at universities, and they or they're like getting paid six figures working at like Google's and Microsoft's. And the and the folks that were always a little bit more business oriented, like myself and like my friend, were now running startups. So it was just like, yeah, I, I think like if you studied us, like a sort of like a ten-year documentary, it'd be a really interesting turnout.
0: There we go. For somebody out there listening, there's a study for you. So you you had mentioned that before Rainway, you had a couple other startups or at least another startup. So what was the the first business and how did you get into that? Yeah, I guess my first real
1: startup was a little company called Oris. I mean, this is like, I guess my ramp up to story, which is we decided it would be a great idea around the time Spotify was starting to boom to make a clone of Spotify that would allow you to listen to all music for free. And I can tell you how well that turned out. One lawsuit from the recording industry later, we shut down. And then we start. I started thinking about new ideas to work on. And then the next idea we got was, well, the next idea I got was Ultarius, which was a suite of remote administration tools that you could uh, access from within your web browser. And that's when I met my co-founder, Evan. And we started building that we got a couple of enterprise licensing deals out of it. And we had like this free consumer version anyone could download. But what we saw from the consumer version was that every single person just used it to play video games. And at that point we said, okay, well, let's take this remote web-based screen sharing protocol that I created and let's turn it into something that's actually good for playing video games. And that's when we made the decision to pivot. And in 2017, we just spent all of that year building and then eventually got accepted into
0: Techstars and went out to Seattle. Okay. So, so I mean, it sounds like even kind of through the challenges of, of you know, that, that first company, you're learning and building from that into, I guess, what Rainway is today. Is that Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I I would
1: actually say every project I've ever worked on, whether it was like a company or whether it was like a personal open source project, it doesn't matter. Everything that I've done has always played some sort of influence into the next idea. Like I can already, I, I can see a lot of the influence, like one of my first large projects, Netflix roulette inside of Rainway Today. Right. Just like from some of those sort of the design methodologies that we implemented because of those things that I did all those years ago. Some things evolve and you realize that that may not be the best approach, but that means you have learned from those sort of past experiences. So it's always important to implement them in some way and for your next big idea.
0: So, I mean, if there was a, a 15 year old kid listening to you right now, kind of what piece of what would you suggest that they do to kind of chart a path that's similar to yours? Oof don't <laughs> if you listen if you have the ability
1: to stay in school there is value if you have the ability to sort of like live a bit of more comfortable life but find those hobbies right find those things that you're really really passionate about Programming's fun, but you also don't need to be a programmer to be like creative, right? Like there are other ways that you can contribute to software or like in general, sort of like anything on computers, whether it's games or music, but find that outlet that makes you really, really passionate and, and go after it aggressively when you're young. Because you'll realize when you get older it's only 10 years that you're gonna be like those like 6 a.m. binges don't last forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having just turned 40 yesterday, I'm just like, I can't imagine like doing an all night coding session or all night anything session anymore. It's just like, oh, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sleep. So kind of given kind of the hardships that you faced or some of the challenges that you face, if you look back, what would you attribute your success to? Luck is a large part. Like
1: I know a lot of people that were also in my circumstances that also worked just as hard, if not harder than I did. But, you know, they're still not out of those like circumstances, right? Like they didn't get their comeuppance and they're, they're stuck still sort of below the poverty threshold line And, I feel for them. Right. Because it's like I worked really, really hard. But like the fact is, I got really lucky. Like I learned like the way that I look at it is like one of the first projects I ever created that sort of blew up in popularity. It only did so because I posted it at the just, you know, the right time on Reddit. Right. If I had posted maybe an hour later, it dies in sort of the the weeds of all the other stuff that's getting posted. But it, it all came down to just luck and like people
0: liking the stuff.
1: But I, I, I working hard was only fifty percent of the equation.
0: So I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to to hear that because you know we've got this I don't wanna, maybe maybe it is fair. this mythology that that hard work will kind of solve any problem. but to, to hear you say that where you're at today is largely attributable to luck. how does that how does that impact how you run Rainway now or how you think about your opp- opportunities at Rainway?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Internet's changed over the last 10 years. And it's like some of the things that I used to do to like market my projects just don't work anymore because there's like too much noise and you can't even get like you can't even get seen now, like through those old channels. And so the way that we think about it is that we're going to build something, but no one's like that doesn't mean people are just going to show up. Right. We have to put in that extra work to be very strategic about how we get rainway in front of individual people. And then like luck at that point is still gonna be the only thing that is the difference between success and failure, right? Like it is going to be pure luck if it gets seen by the right person that then posts it to like Hacker News and it gets to the front page of Hacker News and then there's a whole community of people now talking about it. Like all of those things are sort of outside of your control. Now, of course, if you put in the hard work and you build something that's really, really good, it makes that that chance of happening a lot more likely because like if something's really, really good, then you're going to be a lot more like lucky to have someone like talk about it for you. But like we never sort of, have this idea in the back of our heads that we're guaranteed to have success. I think that's sort of a fallacy that a lot of founders get trapped in that they build something for so long and they put all this effort into it. So of course people are going to like it. That's just not the case. And then also even from sort of like the financial markets perspective, right? Like when we work hard and we build amazing things, it's entirely down to luck whether we're like someone actually funds that or not. right? we are not guaranteed to get a seed round. I remember that we got like, what was it? 80 no's for our initial seed round from Rainway, but we got lucky when I sent a cold email to one investor and then they did our whole seed round by themselves, right? Like that's just sort of like the name of the game.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's true. that, the, And you've mentioned it earlier in the conversation about how how important timing can be. And, and that's something that you can't necessarily control, whether it's the broader economy, whether it's your own you know tech build out, whatever it is, but the timing can have a huge impact on whether something is super successful or not. Yeah. You you mentioned that you had a a co-founder, Evan. So you met through working on another project. Is that right? So we met. (laughs) It's a very fun story. I posted a
1: cryptography challenge to a bunch of message boards. And this was me and a couple of other guys, because this was right after... I had gotten sued by the recording industry, and then some of my other buddies had gotten sued by the movie industry because they were operating Popcorn Time. I was operating Mm -hmm. my music streaming service. So we were bored and we were trying to get other smart, like-minded people to join in the secret Slack group that we had so that we could all just like geek out and talk about programming. And what ended up happening was, is my co-founder Evan found the Crypto Challenge, solved it very quickly, and then called us all stupid for (laughs) how easy it was to solve and said that we had left like very obvious like answers to the puzzle in it, Um, and we became friends. Friends and we started and I invited um, him to work on a project that I had already started up, which was a with me as a front end developer, because it's something I absolutely do not like doing.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you guys are stupid. This was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's work together. Now, how has that been kind of as relationally working, you know, kind of with a co-founder? I mean, describe that process a little bit. I mean.
1: It was, it was it was different for me at that point. I had been like basically an individual contributor on all fronts for myself for for years. And so finally getting a co-founder being being able to say like, hey, I need help on X, Y, and Z. And like, I know I can't do this all alone with how big we want this to go. That was like a big sign of personal growth for myself, just like as a professional. But yeah, it's been fun. You know, over the last four years, we've, we've gotten to work together on some really amazing things. He, he's provided feedback and helped set some of the tone and culture for the company and couldn't have done
0: it without him. That's fantastic. How many how many people are working at Rain, Rainway now? Yeah, uh, we are at 15 now. Okay. So how has that process been for you to kind of grow a team and you know maintain kind of the, the culture of Rainway that you, you want to develop? It's a little easier now because we
1: actually just, we, you know, given the pivot, we downsized some. So we're like we're, we went from 21 to now 15, which is like, you know, that's a little easier to maintain. Culture is hard. I think like at the end of the day, like my job Is going to become less of a manager and and someone that's sort of like contributing to the code base. And it's I'm gonna be taking doing one-on-ones with most of my staff and trying to like figure out how they're feeling so that we can make sure that they're doing all right and they're feeling fulfilled in their job, right? My job is to be the world's like highest paid cheerleader.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I often wondered about that for somebody, you know, I get the sense that you really enjoy kind of coding and building out the projects. How do you feel about kind of moving from not necessarily doing the day-to-day coding to more of a managerial? It's still, it's like, it's a transition that I am an
1: unwilling <laughs> like participant of, I guess. It's like, I understand it has to happen just because the, that is the natural order of things. But if I can ever jump in and like solve a, a technical problem for the team so that they can get unblocked, I still do it. Because like that that's just sort of like, Brainway at the end of the day is the, the brainchild of m- myself. And so if I need to come in and explain some protocol that we created four years ago or try to fix a bug that people are having, I'll, I'll do that. But my time is better spent now these days um, focusing on how to expand the business such that like the team you know the work that they're doing is going to get put into the hands of potential partners
0: yeah unfortunately I guess that's part of the growing a bigger company is you get to, to move into different roles that have to happen yeah so I wanted to pivot just a little bit because you wrote an article for medium back in, in November of 2020 in which you know you share a number of your personal experiences with just horrific instances of racism. And at one point in that article, you said that founding a company in an ecosystem rife with other forms of racism and disregard for the humanity of individuals just shredded my mental and physical health. That I've never felt more alone in the world. And for our listeners, I mean, I would recommend the article to, to anybody who's listening that hasn't read it. But I wondered if you could speak a little bit about what you meant by that and, and kind of some of your experiences there. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'll, I'll, one of the Sort of most blunt examples I have of this was, you know, finishing Techstars, it was time to go raise the, the seed round, right? Like we had three months of this basically startup boot camp and we have all of this knowledge that we've learned and now it's time to put it into practice and warm intros are supposed to be the sort of the, the bread and butter of the venture capital world, right? You get a warm intro, that meeting gets taken because someone else is basically vouching for you. One time, one of the program managers at Techstar sent a this wasn't one, it was this, this happened on more than one occasion, but this was the first time it happened. Sent an, a warm email to a partner at a fund that you know was a good fit for what we were doing, and the partner replied within 30 minutes. Basically, the email was the email verbatim said, I don't believe he built that. And it's like, what do you think? I <laughs> hired a, a ghostwriter for the startup. And this happened time and time again. There were the, all of these comments time and time again of, I don't believe he built that. Mm. And, and, some, and like the verbiage like differed from time to time, but people just didn't think that I, some like black kid from the South had built this technology that companies like Microsoft and Intel and other ones were building internally and spending billions of dollars in R&D on, right? How did I do that? So that was, a, that was incredibly annoying. There were times where I was called unprofessional My VCs for coming into meetings wearing short sleeve shirts simply because I have tattoos. It's like all of these sort of like, I guess like people call them microaggressions to basically make me feel like I don't belong in the room. I think my favorite example of this was when I went to a meeting with my co-founder, Evan. And Evan is not a social person at all. He does not like talking to people. But we sat down at the table and the VC's first words were, like to turn and to look at Evan and start asking him questions because he thought he was CEO. Hmm. And it's, so it's like that that is sort of what it's like to be black and trying to run a startup. And I think in, in another art essay I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I called The Black Tax, I, I, I recounted a story of being in Miami back before it was cool. <laughs> Everyone was going there. And raising money for my startup Altarius and then being passed on by a fund, but having one of the partners slide across the room, get in my face, put his hand on my shoulder and look at me sincerely and say, maybe you should just go raise a friends and family round. And I'm like, my friends and family can't pay their rent. You want me to take, you want me to raise $500,000 for them? So that's sort of par for the course when when you're black in tech and or when you're trying to do startups and and if you look at the amount of black founders that are receiving funding, the list is smaller than 300. Mm-hmm. And the list is so small, my
0: name is right under my old boss's name. Believable, yeah. I mean, and so I guess to, the first question is, I guess, how do you get up and and kind of just continue to hit, go after it day after day, kind of in that face of. What you can call it blatant racism or microaggression, whatever it is. How do you how do you keep yourself going?
1: Knowing that if I'm able to make it and I can stand up in the face of these challenges, that I can finally sort of break a cycle and provide an end to the next generation of black founders, right? If I can struggle the day to give them a ladder where they can skip past some of the bullshit of these other some of these other VCs and just sort of the general like culture of tech and venture capital overall, then I want to do that, right? Because like, if I can help them reach success without going through some all, all the hardship that we had to, that is sort of my, my ideal outcome. I don't, I think for a lot of like black founders, we realize we're not just working for ourselves, right? Like building wealth and building out a successful company is great, but we're really doing it for like the next generation of black founders.
0: And I find that interesting is that is something that you, you almost daily think about, so in addition to the pressures of, you know, just running a startup and how hard that is to, to also have that additional pressure of, of knowing that you're trying to accomplish this for greater purposes too.
1: Yeah. I mean, like when I get messages from like black people saying, you know, they look up to me and they're and the, you know, they find the words that I write inspiring and that they've been following me for years and you know, it's helped motivate them to do things in their personal life. Those words mean the, the world to me. And I cherish those and I and I use them sort of as the fuel to get back to work if I'm ever like feeling in a funk. But these days, you know, sort of the approach I take to racism overall is like, I just eat them alive. (laughs) I just like, you know, five years ago, I would have been a little bit more timid and I would have like sort of like took it on the chin and be like, oh, this is just something I'm going to have to deal with. But now having sort of like, I think one of my my good buddies put it perfectly. He's like, with the amount of success that you've achieved in just the last two years alone, you've done more than 90% of most white founders have done in a lifetime. And like, that was sort of an eye-opening experience for me to hear that from someone where now I'm a little bit more confident. And I have sort of some of that arrogance of those Stanford graduates that have, like are fresh coming out of school and think like they own the world. So like when people are, bluntly disrespectful, or they're racist, or they're, you know, they're just not being good human beings to other people. I stand up to that, because I now have a platform to do so. And I'm not worried about sort of any of those negative repercussions, like I'd have to be in the early days, when I'm still small and trying to get my foot in the door.
0: And so do you feel a big part of that is kind of an increased confidence of, you know, I, I don't want to say that you, you've made it, but you you are successful that you you built this company. And does that provide some of the confidence? Or is it something else?
1: I, I think it's just that, like, you know, being able to do the self-reflection and look at the fact I took this from a idea in my apartment to a company that has generated tens of millions of dollars in revenue, and we're you know we're powering some of the world's largest corporations with our technology. Like that validation is, is enough alone. I don't even need any sort of other external factors when I have. Dozens of team members that are, you know, I, one of our team members is actually leaving the day and like, you know, we were all crying on uh, Zoom together because they were just talking about how wonderful an experience they've had while working here and that they've really valued my leadership and it's helped them grow. Though, that sort of validation for my team, as well as like the company itself, lets me know that I'm not sort of like there is no imposter syndrome. Like I'm, we're actually doing this.
0: Do you consciously kind of interweave these things into Rainway, or is that just part of your your personality? So it's going to come into the company because you're there and, and because you're influencing it.
1: I think it, it you know it, it's a part of my personality, and so it ends up passively impacting things. You know, I I want to make sure that Rainway is a space where people can express themselves creatively, where we can support their growth professionally, and that we can help them figure out what they want to do, right? I've always like said to people when I hire them, I view Rainway as a launch pad to the rest of your career. If you can stay here for two, three years and do a lot of great stuff and then go on to do your, the next big thing, like I'm going to support you in that. Part of that is that I want to show people that startups don't have to be there's a lot of negative culture associated with successful startups that, 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 that find success really, really early. And I don't want that to be the thing that permeates through Rainway. Right. I want people to understand that we're building software and we're building technology. That's really, really important. And of course we all want to like pave our own path to success and make sure that we're making money, but that shouldn't come at the cost of your mental and physical health.
0: And, And how do you get people to, to, to buy into that or if you run into a situation where not so much that people aren't wanting to support their own mental health but you know somebody who is you know just being a jerk to, to other people within within the company how do you address that as a as a manager
1: oh so i mean i i understand that people have bad days right mm-hmm. and so let's say there's a, like someone maybe is a little bit too abrasive during an argument maybe they're like you know voice doesn't raise but like there's clearly like some tension we take them aside and we just talk to them we ask them what's going on right if it's something that continues to happen, right, and there's no clear indication we're not able to get something from this person, well, that person's not a good fit for the company. If like they if they just continues that they are unable to speak cordially to like their team members, then that person's not a good fit. And we, luckily we we haven't had to deal with that much. We've only ever had to let one person go because of that, right? And so, like, that's a good fit because, like, we can sort of weed some of these people out during our technical process. Mm -hmm. We actually engineered our our technical interview such that we're looking less for the technical abilities because we think our homework assignment does a pretty good job of capturing people's understanding. Our whiteboard interview is basically a stress test, and we (laughs) want to see how people operate under stress. And we've had people explode during that, like, whiteboard interview. (laughs) Right. Like we've had people accuse us of like rigging it. We've had people accuse us of like not being helpful enough. And it's like, when we find that sort of like explosion of emotions, we can tell this person probably isn't going to be a good fit. Whereas like, you know, people can solve the whiteboard interview in like a couple of minutes. Great. Cause like, it actually is like a puzzle that only takes five minutes to solve, but it, it, it depends on how you deal under stress.
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good indication, but, you know, so I, I came out to your product launch a couple of years back and it's still to this day, one of the most positive memories I have kind of in this space of, of being a lawyer, working with entrepreneurial companies and just to see your group and, and the employees together on that night. And I don't know, family is the best word to describe it, but everybody was so excited and, and happy and it was just such a positive. Place to be and space to be, so whatever it is you're doing, it you know at least from that viewpoint, it was a fantastic, fantastic space. We keep them well fed. We get to play a lot of video games. <laughs> well, I mean, there's certainly the fact that there was boardrooms with Xboxes and other games set up that you know. That yeah, is no, great. I,
1: I, they keep me humbled. I mean, I, I know like that's probably like a cliche thing to say, but it's I look forward to going to work every day. Opening up Slack, I guess, is more is more akin to going to work, but like. I learned so much and there i we hire people that have so many different sort of like talents and insights outside of technology Mm -hmm. right people that are talented musicians that are really great graphics artists that are multilingual and they like translate anime like uh, as a hobby that's like all these different interesting things that they do and that's the stuff that we talk about more than code I think that's what allows like Rainway to feel sort of like you're chilling out and you're getting to hack on cool stuff. And then at the end of the day, like you know that that it's actually the end of the day. We don't even work on weekends. I don't let people work on weekends. I do. Someone has to. (laughs) But like when it comes time for Friday, work's over and I don't expect, I don't want to see anyone on Slack like on Saturday or Sunday. In fact, we're experimenting with four day work weeks this quarter just because we've been so productive that we I don't even see the need for us to really to work on Fridays anymore.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I, I think I'd seen it on the on Twitter that you guys were moving to that four day. Have you gotten any pushback or thoughts from I guess investors or kind of other people who are advising you? No, we our trajectory shows that Fridays
1: are already pretty much the least productive day. Right, it's kind of the day where people are just like doing what they need to do until it hits like five PM and then they're done anyway. And it's like, well, nothing's getting done on that day of value. And We're doing all of our heavy lifting on Monday, like Monday through Thursday. Why not just give them that time off, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the weeks just blend together seamlessly now because we're always working from home. And so like we can give one, a one day separator to the weekend, that sounds great.
0: So, you know, I'm talking to a lot of our guests here on the podcast, a number of the founders kind of talk about the importance of knowing their why, you know, what it is that they're doing and, and why they're so committed to this business. And i wondered for you and Rainway, what is what is your why? Computing has been stuck for years
1: we've been trying like as a species to pack more processing power into smaller form factors but eventually like there's going to hit a physical limit on the amount of processing power you can fit in your hand without it like superheating and melting through right and so and like that was sort of the first step and then when COVID hit we we started looking at well now there's like millions of people all across the planet that just are not going to be able to actually do remote learning or remote work because they don't have computers at home that are capable of doing this they don't have the means to go out and buy an $800 new laptop or buy a $1,200 MacBook just to like actually do their schoolwork. And so as we started thinking more and more about all, all these problems that exist around the fact that people need heavy processing on the sort of local environment, we saw that our technology solves this problem, right? If someone like Adobe can take the entire suite of Adobe Creative Cloud and actually put it in the cloud so someone on a Chromebook can open up Google Chrome, Go to Adobe's website and use Photoshop, After Effects, Lightroom, all these other traditionally heavy pieces of software, all from their web browser, like it was a native web application that unlocks so much potential for like students and organizations across the world. If game studios can't like I I think one of the best examples of like how COVID has impacted entertainment is that we're getting less video games this year because mm-hmm. there's been no ability to do actual quality assurance on the games during their development process, because no one can be in their offices. And so if game studios can distribute early builds of their games to internal QA teams just via a web link without shelling out tens of thousands of dollars for development and QA machines to each individual tester, we ne- like we can get games back onto the, well, not the shelves of source, but into the digital libraries of millions of new users. And so... All of these different problems, and there's so many, are solved by just removing processing from the local environment and mm-hmm. having everything be in the cloud and streaming this high fidelity data. Our tech solved that problem for gaming so on a consumer experience. And now we see that we can solve the whole world's problems basically through offering this as an enterprise model. And so
0: that's what we're doing now. So it sounds like that kind of that, that tech challenge and solving that has been consistently the reason for, for Rainway from the beginning, is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, I would say so. The tech is the hardest piece. I mean, building on a great user experience around like difficult to build technology is its own like challenge. But there's a reason that you know we have some of the world's largest companies using our technology. It's because we perfected it. And even with all the money in the world, it's a hard problem to solve.
0: So as, as you move into this kind of enter- enterprise space and this this transition for the company, what are some of the biggest challenges that are facing Rainway in the near future? I would say like the only I mean, realistically,
1: right, as like a founder that has traditionally built consumer software and, and consumer and consumer products, learning to do a sales process is the challenge I have to do is now as a CEO, right? Now we're we're we've shifted our entire sort of purview as a company. And basically the way that the best way to describe it is it's as if we are a brand new startup. Mm-hmm. So we have brand new KPIs that we have to hit, brand new sort of metrics that we have to show for before we can even think about, say, like raising another round of funding because we have to show that we've pivoted and we found success in that pivot. And so yeah, we have to basically operate like we're a seed
0: stage company again, which is really, really fun, actually. Like we've been enjoying it. I was gonna say, I imagine that's got somewhat of an energizing effect on on the team. Yeah, I mean, getting to basically say,
1: hey, listen, let's tear down this product and build up brand a, like brand new learning from all everything
0: that we've done over the last four years. Like people were really stoked about that. And I was wondering, as I was thinking about your transition, does is there anything within the team where, you know, people were excited to be working on a gaming platform or, you know, excited to be in that space? And then there's this hesitation to move away from maybe a game centric application to, to something that may not be as exciting. Is there any pushback on that or is it just it's a technological problem that needs to be solved?
1: I think that most people are really, really excited about this use case actually more so than the gaming products. People enjoy it and people use it. And, like, it hasn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think generally, like, most of the engineers on the Rainway team like the product that we built for the users but don't like the users themselves. Um, (laughs) Gamers are just, you know, like, love them or hate them. They they can be pretty opinionated and they want things without getting anything in return.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it can be a pretty caustic bunch.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving away, people, most engineers are just happy not have to do user support anymore. That was really fun. I bet that is a highlight. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So random question, you playing any games these days? Uh, yeah, Kingdom Hearts just came out on PC. So that's going to be my life for the next
0: uh, four days. Excellent. <laughs> playing through all, what, six of them. Very good. Well, there you go. Now we see why we're really moving to a four-day work week.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so, that that
0: was the real reason. I saw yeah. Kingdom Hearts was coming out. <laughs> all right. Get, get it on the pipeline. <laughs> so, you know, we are the founder Shares podcast. And I, I like to ask all of our guests, you know, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to someone who's just starting a business or thinking about starting a business or on the early stages of their company, you know, what's one piece of advice that you would share with them? Get a therapist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's it, 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 I mean it can sound humorous, but honestly, like therapy has been one of the my superpowers. Like being a founder, especially in the later stages, it's an incredibly lonely job. Right, like there are very few people in your personal life that are going to be able to relate to what it's like to try to found a company. Externally, it looks amazing. Oh, you're running your own business. You have so much autonomy. Like, like you, you you're the boss. But like there's a lot of stresses and, and things that are going to go unseen by them. And you're, and you're going to find it early on it's difficult to even talk about them because it kind of just like, sounds like, Oh, you're complaining. You don't, know, you have millions of dollars in funding. So therapy is a really, is really good because you need to be on top of your game to be able to actually build your business and lead your team. And so make sure you
0: take care of your mental health. That's great advice. And I don't think that's one that I've heard before. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no Problem. Yeah. I mean, and I guess talk to that a little bit. I mean, I do imagine that being kind of at the top of the business is really lonely in some respects. And, and I don't know, not being able to talk about all the problems with you know people below you. So do you find, is there a group of other people that you can talk to other CEOs or is it, is it really just a, a lonely front?
1: It can be a lonely front. I think I'm pretty lucky that I ended up getting the Till Fellowship back in 2018 because I'm now just friends with a lot of founders, which is not something I expected. And so, Now having sort of all these other CEOs in my life who are also going through their own like struggles, and you know I have friends who are pivoting, I have friends who have shut down their businesses, and TechStars was also a big help in giving me a network of friends that I can lean on. All of that has been incredibly helpful. I don't think I would have survived as long as I have if I didn't have those friends where I could go and sort of complain about my problems to a degree. You don't want to like try, you don't want them to be your therapist, but being able to just have someone relate to what you're going through that 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 can make the difference.
0: Well, I was going to ask, you know, is there a sense of vulnerability amongst the Teal Fellows or amongst other Star founders? Is it, Are there people you can talk to? Yeah, I guess it just comes down to the general friendship. How much are you willing to share and like how trustworthy is a person? Well, good. So any way that people can get in touch with you or if they want to learn more about Rainway, what's the best way they can find out more? The best way to find out about Rainway is rainway.com.
1: And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at AndrewMD5. It's, it's a great follow for anybody who's looking
0: for it. It's very entertaining and always interesting. Yeah, got a new essay coming out today, hopefully. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll be sure to check that out. But Andrew, I thank you so much for, for coming on and for the conversation. And the, it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good chatting with you. That was Andrew Sampson, CEO of Rainway, which you can find out more about at rainway.com. That's R-A-I-N-W-A-Y.com. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. You can start by visiting our website at hutchlaw.com. That's h-u-t-c-h-l-a-w.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and we'll talk to you next time on The Founder Shares Podcast.